Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Today, we are continuing our series on our 40-day challenge of prayer, and we are on day 15. And... If you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Psalm 35. And the theme of today's prayer challenge was contend for me. And we're going to look at this and try and dissect it a little bit. Psalm 35, let's start at verse 1. We'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 17, verse 1, Psalm 35, it says, Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. We hear these words, and I think they strike a chord with us like, Yes, I want God on my side fighting for me. And you can think of different scenarios, even if it's like this building. God, we want this building. Fight for us. Help us to get in there. Or it could be a sickness that you're dealing with. God, fight for me. Bring healing to this or a a struggle in a family matter. And again, the, the same idea is, God, I want you to rise up. Whatever it is, there's some kind of persecution at work, some kind of struggle at home. You want God to be there. I mean, if God's on my side, then I'm going to be victorious. That's what we want. This is the kind of thing that stirs us up. And it goes on in verse 17. He continues this theme and he says, How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from their lions. I will give you thanks in that great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me and say, aha, aha, with our own eyes we have seen it. I'm just adding a little something there. Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. Awake 
and rise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord. I think we can all appreciate that sentiment and that emotion. I think we all can feel what is being written by David here and this idea of God, don't sleep. Come to my aid in this circumstance. But I got to tell you that going through this devotion today and being at an orphanage yesterday where there were 30 children who are without a home, I am left trying to connect the dots with this reality. Contend for me, God. There are 30 kids, and that's just in this one orphanage, that are without homes. There are thousands upon thousands more. There are children who are being mistreated, sold as property into the sex trafficking, being abused. There are people who are starving. There is so much pain and suffering in this world. And I hear, contend for me, God. And I see this and I think, who's contending for them? And I struggle as I read this because it would be real easy to just say, yes, God is there for us and this and this. But then my mind says, what about them? And years ago, I was kind of suppressed in trying to seek out answers. I was told that if you doubt or if you question something in Scripture, that it's a lack of faith and that it's not good and that you're supposed to trust God. And they would even use Scripture to help me understand that I wasn't supposed to question Scripture, which always made me think, why would Scripture tell me not to question Scripture? That sounds suspicious. That's just how I think. And so they would say, you know, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. See, don't lean into your understanding. And they would take that to mean that, oh, you just can't, you just got to trust God, and don't ask those questions, don't seek those things. But then I would ask, but you're using understanding to understand what that Scripture says. So it can't be all understanding. What understanding can we lean into? And what understanding is He talking about in the Proverbs? And this is what goes on in my mind. And and when I see a scripture that says, contend for me, God, and I see 30 orphans who are without home, I say, God, what's going on here? And how does this work? Because it doesn't make sense to me. How can I ask you to contend for me when there are 30 children who don't have parents who are living in this way and they've got it good compared to a lot of the orphanages that are there. That's why we are involved with them. But the struggle that I have in asking these questions, I want to know God because it haunts me. And didn't Jesus say that we are to ask and to keep on asking? Didn't he say that we are to seek, to keep on seeking? Didn't he say we are to knock and to keep on knocking? Doesn't he want us inquiring about these things that trouble us? Doesn't God want us to engage in these things, to find out more what's going on? of those who are struggling struggling in these areas. How does God contend for us, not contend for them? Does God contend for them? Or does God just contend for those who believe in Jesus? Does God just contend for the elect? Does God just contend for a few people and then the others he doesn't contend for? He only contends for those who are part of his club. 
And that was kind of the impressions that I got at some point is that, you know, if you're in, then you get the God contending for you. But if you're not, if you're just a child in Mexico who hasn't been raised properly, then God's not contending for him. And I'm sorry, but that that doesn't ring with me. It doesn't ring true. I have a hard time with these things. And I don't want a, a, a faith that is hollow. I don't want a faith that is shallow. I don't want a faith that is feel good. Because what I I think happens many times is church has become a place, it's kind of like a crack house. You know, you go to the crack house and you get your fix and it's like, man, I feel good. I'm all better. I'm good. And then you have to go back next week or whenever. I never use crack, so I don't know how often you go back, but you have to go back and... Some of you could tell me, but I'm not going to go there. (laughs) You go back to feel better again. And sometimes that's what church is. I go to church Sunday. Oh, man, I feel good. I got inspired. God's contending for me. Woo, it's good. But man, come Monday morning, it just, it's back on my face. It's back struggling. Go back home. And I've got the same problems. And all of a sudden, I've got this. I got to get back to church. Why? I got to get that fixed. I got to get that fixed. But we're not fixing anything. We're just using faith like we would a drug to try and help us feel better about the world that is not good around us. And instead of actually dealing with the issues, we just want to escape them. We want to move away from these things because they're difficult for us. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus talks about this. Luke 17, starting at verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. And that word stumble means pitfalls, temptations, things that are going to harm people. They're bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. And so now I see Jesus bringing this idea of responsibility to us. That pitfalls, that stumbling blocks, that trials, they're going to come. But woe to the person by whom they come. It would be better for them if there was a millstone around their neck and they were cast into the sea. A huge stone that would just take them to the bottom. And the idea of going to the bottom of the sea in this way is the idea that your soul will never rest. Because in the sea, if they don't bury you or they don't give you the proper burial, your soul was going to just continue in some kind of haunted way. And so this picture that Jesus is painting is one of, boy, if you cause one of these little ones, Matthew's gospel, it talks about children specifically, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, then it would be better if you were haunted eternally in torment than stumble. So now there's this weight of responsibility that maybe part of this contending is our job. Maybe part of this contending is us dealing with life and with circumstances, but we still need more than us. We, we need God. And there is this struggle that's going on for us to have to be aware of the people who are hurting people and to trust in the God who cares about these things. And then we find ourselves living in the tension of this world that we live in. 
And our go-to is to escape, to take that church drug and to get that scripture fix that says God's going to make everything okay, smile. Until you go to the orphanage, until you go to the kids who are starving, until you see the struggle, and then you ask, wait a second. There's still a lot of people stumbling and being objected to these kinds of situations. God, contend for them. And we have to get out of a place where we start thinking about how God is at work Really, not just how we want him to be. What God is doing, how God is doing things more than just what we want to see God do in things. Sometimes that's not comfortable because I want to escape. I want to feel good. I want to know everything is going to be okay. And I don't want to face the problem, right? We do that in relationships or maybe is it just me? You know, your wife's upset with you. You can see it on her face, in her eyes, in other ways, maybe words. And it's like, well, if I go there, it's going to get messy. So let's turn on the TV. (laughs) Hey, hon, you want to watch TV? Modern Family's on. That's funny. Let's watch a comedy. Let's, let's break the ice. Let, let's make things easier. Why? Because I don't want to address the problem. I want to make it easy. I don't like suffering. I don't like contention. I don't like the struggle. And so what we want to do is use scriptures like this in Psalms where God contend for me is to say, God, you're just going to do it and I don't have to worry about anything. But that's anything but what we see in David's life. It doesn't mean God wasn't there at working. What it means is God was there even as these struggles were taking place. There's an old British parable that I think is very illuminating. It talks about this village where there's this young woman and she gives birth to a a young girl. And just a few months after the girl was born, she dies. And the mother is devastated. The mother picks up the baby and she wraps her up in linen and she wraps her up around herself and she's holding her next to her and she goes from faith healer to witch doctor to medicine, house to house, trying to find, can you help me to resuscitate my daughter because I cannot bear the pain that I am living in. I cannot live this way. Can you help me? And as she goes, she's hearing, no, sorry, we can't do that. I can't do that. And then she goes to one home and the the person says, you know, I don't know if it's true. I, I don't know if that person is even really there or alive still. But I heard that there was a wise man who lived up on the mountain who could actually help you with the death of your daughter. And he lives up by a lake 
in a remote part and you have to find him, but I've heard that he can help you. So the woman takes off and she goes up and after a few days, she finds this small little hut and it's there by this crystal clear lake and she goes and she knocks on the door and the man opens the door and she just begs him. She goes, I don't know if you are the one that they've said can help me, but my daughter is dead and I cannot live like this I need to know if you can give me my daughter back or if you can help me. And the man is just moved by her sorrow and he invites her in and he says, I'm the one they're talking about. Come in and he gives her something to eat. And then he tells her, what you need to do is you need to go back into town. I'm going to make a potion, but I need from you a handful of mustard seeds that come from the person whose life has not been touched with the black tragedy that you are facing. Someone's home who has not been afflicted with this dark despair that you're going through. Bring me back those seeds so I can make this potion to help you. So the woman hurries back, and as she gets back into town, she goes from door to door to door, asking anyone, but she cannot find a single home that has not been touched with the pain and suffering that she's feeling. But what happens is as she starts to hear the sorrow from other people, and as she starts to talk about her own sorrow, she starts to deal with the pain and the loss of her daughter and is actually able to move on with her life, even though now it is without her daughter. And what I love about this story is this man does not give her this, I'm going to make everything better. Your daughter's going to be with you. Everything's going to be good. No problems. That's how it is. But he doesn't leave her without hope. She moves forward. And as she starts to uncover that life is filled with these kinds of problems, with these griefs, She's also able to share about her grief and recognize that even in this grief, there is something that we have together. She's actually able to move on with her life. Where she was able to speak of her own problem, she was then able to truly mourn and truly deal with her pain and finally be able to let her child go even though the pain was still there. We want to escape the suffering, but if we want to find freedom, if we want to find love, if we want to find joy, if we want to find a new life, the ability to actually live our lives, we need to be able to deal with what happens in our lives so that we can truly live. Otherwise, you will be held hostage by the events that have happened to you in your life and not be able to overcome them. And Jesus spoke about this. In in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, think about all the things that Jesus says, blessed are you. And, and think of that word blessed as, you know, sacred. I mean, it, it literally means 
to be happy, but that's not the, the meaning of just happiness. It's almost like congratulations. And, and so what did he say? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who, who recognize the need, those who are bankrupt, they're blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because when you mourn, you actually are able to feel and be a part of what is actually happening. It is better to be able to mourn than to be numb to the feeling of love. And the only people who mourn are the people who have lost something that is dear to them. And so you're blessed if you mourn. I know it doesn't sound like an inviting thing, but do you see that this is actually healing for us to be able to mourn when someone hurts you, to be able to say, I hurt, to be able to cry about it, to be able to deal with it instead of pretend it didn't happen. Instead of moving on like, I don't care, it doesn't matter, to actually be able to say, yeah, this happened, and yeah, this hurts, and I've had a good cry time and time again because of it, Jesus says, you're blessed. Congratulations. You mourn. How do you feel about that? It, it, it strikes us. Blessed are the meek. This is someone who does not take the ability to be strong, but actually controls themselves they're actually governing themselves someone who is limiting themselves that's what the person who is meek is a person who has strength but it's under that kind of control those who hunger and thirst for righteousness if you're hungry for something it means you're lacking it hunger is something we are familiar with i hunger for food every 10 minutes You know, we ate some amazing tacos after we visited the orphanage. And after, I mean, I had this tacos and I had this fish soup. If you're not into fish, you won't appreciate it. But if you are, it's amazing. If you go with us someday, you'll experience it too because we go there every time when we're done. So I had this and I was full. I was stuffed. But then we went to the bakery down the street, the panderia, and they had this, this donut that had vanilla pudding in it. I mean, not a little. It was like a whole cup of vanilla pudding in this donut. I didn't bring one of those home. I brought other things home because it was too messy to bring home. So I had to eat it, and I did. (laughs) I hunger for things. You see it, and man, I'm hungry for that. I want that. Blessed are those who are hungry, who are thirsty for what is right. Those who see the world as it really is but know what the world really should be and who hunger for that change, hunger for what is right, then you're blessed. See, it's not blessed are those who are happy, blessed are those who everything is going well, blessed are those whose lives got it all together. No, blessed are the ones who are able to see the areas that are in need in their own lives. The merciful, again, those who are merciful means those who have been abused. Think about it. It's not just, oh, good to be merciful. If you have to be merciful, you're usually on the wrong end of someone's stick, right? Blessed are you if you show mercy. 
The pure in heart, they will see God. The peacemakers, again, here's one. If you're in an area where you have to make peace, that means you're in a place of hostility. Jesus says you're blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, maybe when we ask God to contend for us, what we need to ask for is not God just get rid of all my problems, stop the pain, God make everything better. Maybe what we need to do is God help me to bring the reality of who you are into my life at this situation so that I allow you to overcome how I deal with the situation and how this situation moves on. Because I got to tell you, God doesn't give a home to every orphan. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. But what he wants you to do is care. And he wants you to cry for the orphans. And he wants you to struggle for the children who are without food in Haiti. And he wants you and me to take on this task of being who he is in this world through you and me. And he wants to contend for those people just like he contends for you and I by giving himself for us on the cross. You see, God did contend for us. God did fight for us. He's not absent. He's not distant. But it might not be the way we've been taught. It might not be so easy. It might not be so fun. It might actually be in the real world that we live in that he shows up and wants to show up in our lives. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's saying, I'm going to die. Okay? I know this is a nice, cheerful Sunday morning talk, right? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Paul is not saying, God has contended for me and I'm going to be delivered. He's actually saying, hey, I'm about to die, but I have lived. You see, it was Mark Twain who said that most people, let me get the quote, quote right. People die at 72, but they stop living at 27. And I wonder when Paul says, I'm ready to go, I have fought the fight. He's ready to die because he has fully lived. Because he has been connected to the God who actually does contend for him. The God who actually has been for him time and time again. But you see, Paul's battle and Paul's area of contention wasn't just for a comfortable life. Paul's area of contention is for a life of meaning. 
And I think what we do is we struggle to get an easier life and then we don't find our lives have any meaning in it. So it doesn't matter how good you have it, how much money you have. If you don't have purpose and if you don't have meaning, then you find yourself living a miserable life. But no matter how difficult it is, no matter where you come from, if you have meaning, you can actually fully be alive in whatever circumstance you are in because God is there and that's where the contending takes place. He's not contending for your circumstances. He's contending for your soul. He's contending for your heart. He's contending so that you can be fully alive in Him. God doesn't want to make things easy for you he wants to make things meaningful for you he wants your life to have purpose he wants your life to be a value not only to you but to the world around you god is contending for you that's why christ went to the cross that's why paul could say i'm ready to die i've been living in prison i've been beaten i've been i've been treated terrible by people who are inside the church, outside the church, those who are Gentiles, those who are Jews. Man, I've gone through, I've been wrecked in the ocean. I've been beaten three times. I mean, you can name it. I've gone through a little things. And he says, man, it's been good. I fought the fight because he's fully alive. I don't want to die at 72 and really died at 27. I want to be living. And I want you to know that God has contended for you so that you can fully be alive, that God has contended for us, that your life and my life can have meaning, is valuable to him, but not valuable just so you can have it easy, valuable so that you can now contend for others. You know, I was struggling as we were going through the orphanage. We went and saw the, the place where they're building that we've done some work and help with them there. And, and I was thinking, man, I'd like to, you know, just build this thing for these people. But, you know, we're trying to get a building for ourselves too. And it's like, ah, oh, I want to do this and I want to do this. And I'm just thinking, man, this is difficult for us. But at least someone is contending to try and get something done. And we're not the only ones working with this orphanage, thankfully. You see, it it, it takes all of us to make a difference. It it takes all of us to, to be a part of this work that God wants to do to have an impact on the people in our community or the people in Mexico or the people in Haiti, the areas that we're working, the homeless that are here in Upland. I mean, if we're going to make an impact, we have to work together and recognize that this is now our contending, that I want to contend for these 30 kids that are in Mexico. Why? Because God is contending for them. And I'm going to do what I can, not just to make their life easier, but to bring meaning into their lives. Because I got to tell you, their lives are much more difficult than probably everyone's here. But you know what? Most of them, probably because they're children, and Jesus said we need to become like children, are probably enjoying life than most of us here. Go figure. And so may we have the conversation with our own pain and our own sorrow. May we have those reality checks to see that what we're really needing isn't for things to be better for us. What we're really needing is to make life better 
for others. And that the contention that we are now taking on, that we want for ourselves, is actually passed on through us to the people around us. So that we, like Paul, can say we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, we have kept the faith. And I love how he says that this crown of life is going to be rewarded for him, to him on that day, but not only on to me, but to all those who loved his appearing. And how we love the appearing of Jesus. Because that was the proof that God contended for our souls, for our lives, to bring hope in the middle of this world, to bring blessing to those who are poor in spirit, to those who mourn, to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, to bring blessing in our lives only happened because he really did content for us. Let's pray. Father, I want so much to be a person who has a genuine faith and not a faith that is sedated by culture and circumstances and comfort. I want to have a genuine relationship with you that shows up everywhere in my life, not just on Sunday mornings, that shows up in the struggles at my home, that shows up in the struggles at my workplace, that show up in the struggle of my physical condition, that show up in the tension of my relationships with my children or my spouse or my family or my friends, that, that is real for the children who are at that orphanage as it is for me living here in Upland, California. Lord, I want a faith and a relationship with you that I can lean into and not have to stay away from questions, not have to, to ask you what does this mean or why does this seem unfair, to not be afraid to present to you all those doubts that I have, all those concerns that I have, all the shortcomings that I see in my life, all the inadequacies that I, I see in, in our church and in our community, in our country, in our world, to not be afraid to come before you with all these things and say, God, why is this like it is? What is going on? How am I supposed to make sense of this and of you being a God of love? God, how do I live in this tension and to find you there and to find you giving me hope there? find that you've been there speaking to me. Maybe what I've been doing is running away from the pain instead of recognizing you there in it, wanting to work in me and bring healing. So God, I pray you would bring healing in this room with those who have struggled in these areas or other areas who have been hurt, who have been injured, who have been wounded and have numbed themselves to those things, maybe even in religion, maybe with alcohol, maybe with drugs, maybe through other areas, have numbed their lives because they don't want to deal with their pain. God, may we not use you as a drug that brings 
just a numbness of life. But may you expose the hurt. May we truly mourn. And may we find healing. Because you have come to set us free. Free from our ignorance and free from these areas that we have hidden in for so many years. God, be real here now where we live. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know that I am not here to try and answer all your questions. I'm actually here to try and uncover all your questions so that God can answer them. Because His grace is sufficient enough for you. And His strength is made perfect in your weakness. God bless you. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.